As a child, Danny McCabe remembered being stricken with a fever so desperate and fierce, he knew it was merely a matter of minutes before his lungs would fill no more. No matter how hard he sucked and wheezed, it was never sufficient. His face white, his fingernails near punched through his skin, as he grasped and clawed at the bedsheets, his eyes lit with pain, his frail body running with sweat. Each time it happened, he knew he would die, and each time he did not. Once or twice he'd almost hoped it would end. Such a thought could only be a cousin to pure wickedness itself, a devil thought that would scratch and scurry about the corners of his conscience, and then, finding guilt for nourishment, would gain confidence and strength and consume him whole and complete. But that thought had never been anything of substance. Truly, he'd never wished himself dead. Not from the day he was born to the very evening he left after supper with a plan for drinking with Jimmy O'Connell. That wish changed on the night of November 12, 1937. He knew that his fate was in the hands of God or Lucifer. It was merely a matter of who got there first. He'd been battered and bruised by his father, by sparring partners, by opponents in the ring. But what he was subjected to that night was the worst pain he'd ever experienced. Administering his formal interrogation were two fellows by the name of Jack Carey and Bobby Dernan. One of their own had almost burned to death at the hands of terrorists. They knew there was more than one guilty man in Clonagall, and Daniel Francis McCabe was going to tell them the truth, even if they had to kill him to get it. Bobby Dernan was once a welterweight champion, little more than county angling for national, but a busted wrist put pay to any dreams he might have harbored. Some said the bitterness he felt for seeing that aspiration snuffed like a candle sent him on a queer course for hatred of humanity in general. Others said he was always a twisted knot of bitterness, seeing himself hard done by, as if fate had dealt him a bad hand out of spite. He went to the Garda for the same reason as Jack Carey, simply a means to get even with folks who aggravated him without ever being held to account. Dernan and Carey had the McCabe boy handcuffed to a simple wooden chair in the cellar of Clonmel. Already his wrists were raw, his arms pulled tight to the lower crossbeams beneath the seat. Stripped to the waist, his nose bloodied, one molar cracked from a sideswipe Dernan landed before he was even seated. Danny knew that there were three ways to make this stop. He told them what they wanted to hear, they tired of beating him, or he died right where he sat. There was one other chair in the room, and here Carrie sat and watched while Dernan used Danny's upper body like a punching bag. They were experienced, the pair of them, knew how to hurt without raising bruises or breaking skin. Kidney punches, a hard fist wrapped in a wet towel, elbows into the top of the spine, knuckles to the top of the head, twisting bones in sockets until the pain tore through every nerve and sinew. A man is never alone, Carrie said, leaning back in the chair, front legs off the ground, a cigarette burning in the corner of his mouth. He seemed relaxed, nonchalant even, content to spend the rest of the night eliciting whatever information he could from Danny McCabe. It was already two in the morning, Saturday the 13th, and there was more than enough bitterness and black coffee to keep the Clonmel Garda fueled. Politics aside, John Carmody was a known and respected man, a family man, a father of three, and to see him laid up in hospital with his burned hands and face was unconscionable. No, 
A man is never alone, Carrie repeated. He doesn't drink alone or work alone, no matter what he might be doing. Now we have a good mind as to who was with you, lad, but we need to hear it from your own lips so we do. That way we make it all official and straightforward. Dernan fetched a long length of damp cloth that was hanging on the door handle. He wandered around each fist and let it hang loose between his hands. So, are we going to start cooperating with one another? Or do we have to keep beating at you until you give it up, eh? Danny looks back at Carrie through the slits of his swollen eyelids. He didn't say a word. Carrie nodded at Dernan. Dernan looped the cloth around Danny's neck a couple of times and started to draw it tight. The cloth was damp to avoid abrading the skin, the width of it sufficient to encircle his throat from collar to chin. There would be no bruising or lesions, nothing to suggest that the hacking, desperate gasp for...